Hey friend, welcome to another episode of Melanated Mom Talk. I want to say thank you to everybody who has subscribed. All of the love that I'm feeling on Instagram. I don't really rock with Twitter. I'm the worst. I know I got to get on there, but (laughs) it's just, it's a lot. But, um... I'm feeling the love and I just want to say thank you to everybody who is showing support, who's writing reviews, who's giving five stars. We growing, we building, we massive, we're moving forward. Thank you. So last week's episode of Melanated Mom Talk featured Professor Carol Boyce Davies. And we got so much love from that episode that we have some bonus audio for y'all today. All right, we're in. Can we talk about some of those moments, some of those early moments of being a mother and an academic? I know you have stories of telling me, um, because I was born in January, I believe you were in the semester and you would have to go back to your office to pump in between classes. Right. What was that like? You know, the the amazing thing about that, it wasn't planned, but this baby who became Dahlia, Davies was supposed to come in December, according to all calculations. So I was my first um, time teaching at Binghamton University, and I was about five months pregnant when I got there in August. And um, of course, I was embarrassed to actually tell my head of department that I was pregnant. (laughs) And I went to him and I said, I have something to tell you because I wasn't showing because of my body type. I was slim enough that nobody would notice. I went to my head of department and told him that I was pregnant. And he said, congratulations. He was all happy. Yes. So that actually helped me not be feeling concerned. And the concern was more like, do they take you seriously if you're walking around pregnant? Um, as opposed to, um, you know, being the, the professional woman who doesn't seem to have any sexual life. So pregnancy is, of course, the mark of having a sexual life. And right. um, as a result, you, you, and my generation did, I think your generation does not feel as much of that pressure, but we did feel worried about how we would be taken um, professionally if you were seen to be a mother. And that actually marked um, the early part of our profession for a while. In fact, one of my colleagues was writing a piece about being a professional and a mother at the same time and how does one navigate it. So it was, that was not easy. So actually the baby came in January and classes were to resume for me like two weeks later and they did. So I went right back to work. Um, Fortunately, my mother came up from Trinidad and normally didn't stay in the winter, but she stayed that winter until the spring and um, went back to work um, the end of January, two weeks later and did have to pump in the office for sure so and i remember the the feeling you have when your breast engorges and it gets really hard and you know you need to go to a bathroom somewhere and pump or to your office as i did um begins to be something that worries because you start wondering will the the milk leak out on my blouse and all of those questions Right. So, yeah. And these are I things, that, that. concerns that men never, they never even crosses their mind. 
but I said that when my baby would wake up, which was you, early in the morning for early morning feeding, and then I put the baby back to sleep, I would go downstairs to the kitchen and then make coffee and sit and read something. So I didn't go back to sleep. I stayed up. And I think that actually has become my pattern still that I, you know, in the morning early, I read an article, or I write something. And in a way, I have to thank uh, my children for that because it has made me more prolific than most of my colleagues. In other words, I didn't sleep right. in. I got up and I worked. So and I always found it really lovely that you can stimulate your brain that early in the morning that you either read or you write. So that's when I create most of my work early in the morning. If anybody wants to catch me, that's when they should talk to me early in the morning because I'm up like six o'clock most mornings and I read um, an article or something. And so I get knowledge or I write my own work if I'm working on a project. So back then was not really working on a book yet. I was more, you know, working on getting um, academic professional articles written. And those are actually um, doable within the course of a semester. Amazing. And prep for going to a conference, for example, where you present it and then over the summer you refine it. So that's the kind of work I was doing at that time. So do you have any memories you can share when you felt like just a superhero of a mom and you felt like it was all coming oh, together? Oh, wow. Actually, no. You know, I think that's... You don't really feel this. Um, you, I, I never felt that really. I think the closest I had to it was one day we were riding and I was afraid you were going to fall and I jumped off the bike to try to catch you and then I hurt my own knee. So that's definitely not superhero. I still have this car, but I'm proud of it. That was um, a major superhero moment. You um, <laughs> Not only hurt you, there were stitches. I'm not mistaken. That's the one that stands out the most to me. Um, that I, I think I did. Um, but I I've actually, I have more things that I critique myself for, which is probably not good. But I think we always have to do self-critique. So I'm, I'm okay with that as well. I feel like in society, there is a, a thought that women just automatically get pregnant, make babies, know what to do. Um, so this is why I'm asking the question, because I feel like it's not true that all women just know what to do. Yeah, I, as you said, I think we learn from observing other women around us uh there's no manual that that really works because each experience is in is separate so that there are guidelines one can have about when you do what and of course now your generation has apps and all kinds of interesting things to tell you when each thing is going to happen but still the the individual child the individual experience the individual person um, changes all of that because black women have a whole different experience, as you know, how we are seen in the world. Um, and, and those things mark how we engage, how we do what we do in terms of parenting. So for example, going up to your child's school as a mother, um, in my time, you could, you know, women who just show up looking unprofessional didn't get taken seriously at all. So many women, just to do that would actually dress and at least look professional going into the school because then they were not taken to be the domestic servant or something. So self-presentation right. became so critical for us. And this is why even women of our mother's generations, when they went out, they had on hat and gloves sometimes. 
um, so that they could be seen a certain way. Um, and, and I identify uh, with that as being a mother of uh, biracial children. My husband is Irish and German. And um, I have had countless times when people spoke to me like I was the nanny, even on days when I felt like I was presenting like anyone else would. I've had countless times where that has happened to me to this day. Right. We had a speaker last week at Cornell um, University. Her book is called Citizen. And she actually began reading a document that she's working on where she talks about even thinking of not going to her daughter's school and letting her husband go because of the way she thought uh, the child would be seen differently if she didn't show up as the black woman. So these uh, these situations are possessed. The author's name is Claudia Rankin. And the book is called Citizen. But she talks about this for a new project she's doing called The White Card, a play she has done and a new project she's writing. So essentially, she um, is in 2019 still documenting this ongoing way of presentation that regardless of how you look, you have to still assert your particular identity. So parenting black children, uh, parenting for black women in this time frame um hasn't really changed much uh in terms of what our parents experience uh we don't have segregation i think that's a physical you know segregation as we did before but there's still emotional ways that people are still segregating us out and we have to sometimes contest that and that for me was always um something that i insisted on for my children because otherwise if you don't the the institutions can easily sort of dismiss them and you. And one has to really contest that all the time. Definitely. I, I, I definitely identify with that being raised in upstate New York. And I remember times you having, go to, having to go to the school and um, for me or um, my sister. And mm -hmm. it's interesting being on this side of the table because now I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old and I'm the one going to the school and I see you so much clearer now. And I am so appreciative of all of everything you did <laughs> because I, I see know. it now. And, and I get in it. fact, this is one place where my professional credentials came in because I remember with Janelle when she had an encounter where the teacher was um, reading one of the Mark Twain books, which repeated the N-word over and over, and she did not like it. And keep in mind this, I've heard many other parents talk about this exact episode exactly. recently, and I'm like, wow. So, and she walked out of the classroom and they were upset with her and so on. And only one other, other student, a young white male actually supported her and she was devastated. And this was one time when I actually went to the school and used my academic credentials to say, no, uh, if you're going to do that, you have to ask the children ahead, see ahead of the, this, that there's some language in here that is really not appropriate. And if it makes you uncomfortable, you can opt out of listening to this. But no, they didn't do that. They just assume you want to hear all that offensiveness. Right. So the the point is, there's a certain way in which, fortunately for me, I was able to intervene. And the principal actually understood um, this. Mm. So one has sometimes to just counter the, the sort of assumptions that we are uninformed and ignorant and so on with knowledge and tell them, actually, no, this is inappropriate and we want to contest that. And I think for Black women parenting... Um, this is something that one should always keep in mind. And it doesn't have to be done in, in an angry and annoyed way. It has to be done in like you're going to a business meeting and you just lay out the terms of what it is 
that is inappropriate at this time. Because instinctively, we want to be angry. But this is the one time where you need to do it like a business encounter and lay out exactly what's wrong with this and how you want to fix it. So I'll see you next week with an all new episode, all new guests on Melanated Mom Talks.